Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment Service for the Blind, and we include anyone with a visual impairment who is unable to read a newspaper. We have the permission of the Worcester News, and we're recording on Thursday, December the 5th. I'm Elizabeth Hill, and this week's team comprises John Plush, the engineer, and round the table with me is uh, David Clark, Pamela Holder and Janet Goodman. The clerical work has been done by Carol Hartle and Joe Gwynne and Jean Burbeck, for which we thank them. Uh, the, the Thought for the Day is by Keir Aldis and the music by Sheila Joins. May I extend a very warm welcome to any new listeners and hope you enjoy our offering. You will hear some emergency and interesting phone numbers, what's on in the local theatres, the obituaries we'll put at the very end after the music and also the thought for the week. We'll open the birthday book. Do let us know yours if we don't have it already. And then we'll have the past week's headlines and sunrise and sunset times. They will be followed by the stories of interest from the past week. The service is quite free to users. It is a registered charity. If, however, anyone does wish to make a voluntary donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, WYLDS, here in Worcester, WR5 1DA and we do have to think, thank the winning post for a wonderful donation um, from their collection box uh, Anne McKeever so thank you very much for that we like to hear from you if you have any suggestions for improvements or maybe some complaints add a message in your wallet or leave a message on the answer phone our number is 01905 767766. But we are all volunteers and we're not here all the time, so please leave a message and be patient for it to be responded to. I'm going to ask Janet now to um, give you the interesting and hopefully useful telephone numbers. Thank you, Janet. Here in Wildslane, it's 01905-767766. Worcester Live is 01905-611-427. Morven Theatres is 01684-89-2277. Police Non-Emergency is 101. Crime Stoppers, 0800 treble five treble one worcester hub o one nine o five seven six five seven six five norbury theatre o one nine o five double seven zero one five four nhs direct one 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 and out of hours medical assistance that's between six pm and eight pm is o three hundred one two double three two double one Thank you, Janet. 
Now, let's have a look and see what's on in the local theatres. And at the Swan in Worcester, from the 2nd of December to the 5th of January, so a whole month, is Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Um, So there are matinee performances. Best thing is to ring the box office, as you've just heard Janet give you the the, uh, number there. Uh, On the uh, uh, 7th of December, so that's this coming Saturday, the Pete Bodice Country Band and Our Love Will Exceed All. Uh, It starts at 7.30 and that is at Huntington Hall. Also at Huntington Hall on the 8th of December is Worcester Concert Club who present the York Waits Make Make We Joy Now in This Fest. Um, And that's at three o'clock, so Sunday afternoon. Uh, From the 11th to the 21st of December in the Vesta Tilly studio at the Swan Theatre is a picture of Elf, E-L-F, a heartwarming holiday story that encourages us all to look after our mental elf. (laughs) H dropped deliberately. The Albion Christmas Band is at Huntington Hall on Thursday the 12th of December at 7.30 and on Friday the 13th, ooh, Friday the 13th, is T-Rex to see. So that's a tribute band for T-Rex and that too is at Huntington Hall. Also there on the 14th, gosh, they're very busy, is the English String Orchestra. Christmas at Huntington Hall and that is at 7.30pm. We go then to the 18th of December, Belshazzar's Feast, and that's an evening performance at Huntington Hall. Also at the hall is A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens on Thursday the 19th of December at 7.30. So quite a lot there at the hall. And I've given you a, a, a few days ahead so that if you want to book, you can. Um, I'm going to draw it twitch now. On Tuesday, the 10th of December, December is a live broadcast from the Royal Opera House, Capelia. And that is at 7.15pm. Uh, on the 14th is a whimsical theatre production, Up on the Rooftop Christmas Concert. Uh, that also is at 7.30 at the Norbury Theatre. On the 17th of December, Tuesday, again a special screening, a ballet from the again the Royal Opera House, uh, the Nutcracker, and that's at seven fifteen p.m. And then something for the children on the eighteenth, Disney Dumbo, and that also is at seven thirty p.m. So quite a lot going on. For some reason, I don't seem to have Malvern's uh, brochure. Uh, however, Janet has given you the number, so if you want to head over to Malvern, uh, give them a ring, and I'm sure they'll be able to help you. So, I can't find any birthdays due this week, so I'm going to hand over to David to give us the headlines from the past week and the sunrise and sunset time. Thank you. Right. (coughs) Headlines this week are three arrests for attempted murder after city attack. We will all miss Peter. Court orders dog must be destroyed. Street attack, six in court. A pair had a pistol and a crossbow, and the YMCA shuts its city hostel. Sunrise will be at two minutes past eight, 
and sunset will be at 3.57. And now I'm going to ask you to read the first of the headline stories, please. Thank you. OK. <clears throat> Friday's story. Three men have been arrested on suspicion of attempted murder following a machete attack in Worcester. Two men, aged 22 and 28, both from Worcester, have been arrested on suspicion of attempted murder and are in police custody. A 30-year-old man from Spark Hill in Birmingham, who was also arrested on suspicion of attempted murder, also remains in police custody. The arrests are in connection with an incident in Wilds Lane between 11pm on Saturday, and the, November the 23rd, and 1am on the Sunday, the 24th, where a 22-year-old man suffered potentially life-changing injuries as a result. He's currently stable and continues to be treated in hospital. The Worcester News has been sent photographs of the horrific injuries but have decided not to publish them at the request of the man's family. One photograph showed the back of the alleged attack victim's hand with a deep gash near the knuckles which appears to have cut very deeply into three of his fingers. The Worcester News was also provided with a photograph of the man's face with a stitched cut just below his left eye. The cut appears to be about four inches long and runs from a point between the eye and the ear down towards the nose. The father of the injured man, who did not wish to give a statement at this time, confirmed his son was in a stable condition and doing well. He was able to confirm the, name of the, uh, the nature of the injuries to his face and hand and also said he had two other stab wounds to the leg. Sources within the Asian, Asian community have said men with balaclavas and wielding knives and machetes were involved in the attack, which they said was lin linked to drug dealing. One source, who declined to, be, declined to be named, said, It's had a bad effect on the community. There was no need for them to do this. We have previously reported how Councillor Aladitta, the Mayor of Worcester, appealed for calm and urged those with information about the attack to come forward and speak to the police so that they can gather evidence. The attack, which happened outside St John's Ambulance in Wilds Lane and near two Worcester primary schools, has caused shock and revulsion throughout the community, with some on social media saying they had seen photographs of the injuries. <clears throat> Detective Chief Inspector Ian Wall said... I would like to reassure the community that we've now made three arrests in connection with the assault of our victim. We continue to actively seek individuals to help us with our inquiries relating to this incident. We have additional officers patrolling the area throughout the weekend and I would encourage any member of the community that have any concerns to talk to the officers. This is an active investigation and I would appeal to the community that if anyone has any information, no matter how small they believe it to be, please call 101 or Crime Stoppers anonymously on 0800 555 Tributes have been paid to a much-loved Worcester man who was a familiar face to many people in the city following his sudden death. Peter Middleton who died aged 60, was a familiar face in the city as he was often seen at Lock 4, Blockhouse, near Foundry Street of the Worcester to Birmingham Canal, where he would offer a friendly greeting to dog waters and other passers-by. Mr Middleton had been living on and off at St Paul's Hostel for homeless people 
and staff and residents there have been left saddened by his death. He died when he was struck by a train on the tracks near St John's Cemetery in St John's at around 6.30pm on Wednesday, the Worcester News understands. Jonathan Sutton, the chief executive of St Paul's, said Mr Middleton's death was tragic and had come three weeks after he'd last stayed at the hostel. We are deeply saddened to hear of Peter's death, said Mr Sutton. He was one of the members of the creative group and a much-loved member of our community. I think everyone will miss Peter, his sardonic humour, politeness, poetry and throaty voice. Peter was often seen by Lock Four of the canal, his black trilby hat worn at a wonderfully rakish angle where he loved to watch the world go by, keeping it free of litter, whittling walking sticks and always with his trouser pockets crammed full of delicious treats for every passing dog. Mr Sutton said that Mr Middleton had many passions and was a popular character. His passions were nature, the local canal, he helped our creative group on the wanderer's canal boat and he was really good at writing poetry. He liked his rock music, loved spending quiet time fishing on the canal and helping her out with the odd DIY jobs at the hostel. He loved his food and was always contributed to our weekly community meetings. Peter's ideas were always grounded in common sense. Peter never complained about his lot. He was always polite. I remember him saying, going out of the hostel one day, one might be homeless, but one does not need to look it. We think he spent some time as a roadie for P.J. Proby. Peter had a near encyclopedic knowledge of nature. Mr. Sutton added, St. Paul's residents and staff are very sorry that Peter died and our sympathy goes to his family. The Worcester News understands that Mr. Middleton's death is not being treated as suspicious. His next of kin have been informed. A West Midlands Ambulance Service spokesman said, We were called at 6.30pm on Wednesday, November the 27th, to St John's Cemetery in Dines Green to reports of a collision involving a pedestrian and train. We sent an ambulance, a critical care car and a paramedic officer to the scene. Unfortunately, it quickly became clear nothing could be done to save the man and he was pronounced dead at the scene. Worcestershire Coroner's Office has been made aware of Mr Middleton's death. A date for an inquest has not yet been set. A network rail spokesman said, at around 6.30pm on Wednesday... Network Rail was alerted to an incident on the railway between Worcester Forgate Street and Hereford. As a result, the line was closed and we worked with Great Western Railway and cross-country trains to put in place a bus and taxi replacement service.
British Transport Police attended the scene and the line was fully reopened at around 8.15pm. If you knew Mr Middleton and would like to pay tribute to him, please email Michael Purton at newsquest.co.uk See streetlink.org.uk for advice on helping homeless people. A dog used as a weapon to maul a man in Worcester will be destroyed because no suitable home could be found for him. Kimbo was used by his owner during a savage attack in the city, but now it is the animal who will pay the ultimate price after a judge ordered his destruction at Worcester Crown Court on Friday. It had been hoped the Staffordshire Bull Terrier Cross could be saved after his owner, Andy Cornus, encouraged him to attack the victim in the Trinity near Bushwhackers, shouting, get him, as it inflicted deep bite wounds. Corns was jailed for eight years at the city's Crown Court in September for wounding with intent following the attack at around 3.20am on February the 3rd this year. The 35-year-old did not attend the hearing on Friday, so the order to destroy the dog was made in his absence. John Brotherton, prosecuting, said it had been hoped that the defendant's aunt, Kim Thomas, could take the dog, but added, she is no longer prepared to, we're told. He said there were issues connected either with the garden fencing being raised or Mrs Thomas not wanting the animal anymore. Police had told her the fence had to be raised to prevent the animal scaling it, which the Worcestershire News understands was too great an expense. Regrettably, it's the position we ask for a destruction order of the said animal, he said. Judge Robert Jucks QC said the only course, therefore, is destruction. He said there was no alternative order he could make. We are where we are, regretfully. The application is for the destruction order, said Mr Brotherton. Then I shall make it, said the judge. Corners was also banned from keeping dogs for ten years. We have previously reported how Corners set the dog on the victim. Kimbo sank his teeth into the man multiple times, inflicting deep puncture wounds. The victim also suffered a broken arm, though he did not know whether the dog had done this or the gang of four which beat him afterwards. Bobby Watts and Aaron Abbott and two youths set upon the injured man, kicking and punching him in the head. Twenty minutes before the attack, the victim had expressed concerns about the dangers posed by the dog to a police officer, but no action was taken, the court heard. Andrew Corns, 35, of George Street, admitted grievous bodily harm with intent and of being the owner of a dog which caused injuries whilst dangerously out of control. Bobby Watts, aged 19, of Westmount Road, London, admitted assault, occasioning actual bodily harm and affray. Watts was also sentenced for unconnected matters from Manchester involving possession of a lock knife and a steak knife. Aaron Abbott, aged 18, of Solent Road, aged 17 at the time of the attack, denied assault occasioning 
actual bodily harm and affray for his part in the Worcester incident, but was convicted after trail, trial at the youth court. Two youths who cannot be identified for legal reasons have already been sentenced to 12 months referral orders for Afray and ABH for their part in the attack in the aftermath of the dog attack. The victim was left with a gaping wound to the armpit, puncture wounds to his arms, a fracture to his ulna, a bone in his arm, and cuts to the right cheek and nose. The victim was taken to A&E at Worcestershire Royal Hospital, where he was treated for seven puncture wounds to his forearm, a gaping wound to his armpit, a broken wrist and bruising to his face. The defendants were arrested at an upstairs flat in George Street, where some gave false names and tried to escape. Since the attack, the victim has suffered flashbacks and had been unable to work, complaining of reduced range of movement to his right arm and headaches from where he was kicked to the head. Six men have appeared in court on suspicion of attempted murder in relation to an alleged machete attack. <clears throat> they were charged over the alleged knife attack in Wilds Lane, that saw a man suffer slash marks to his hands and face between 11pm on Saturday, November the 23rd and 1pm on Sunday, November the 24th. The group gave no pleas when they appeared at Kidderminster Magistrates yesterday. They were remanded in custody. The f defendants were Shayanul Alam, aged 30, of Ivor Road, Sparkhill, Birmingham, Luke Bridger, 23, of Carlisle Road, Worcester, Kazim Multani, 21, of Westminster Road, Usman Multani, 35, of Westminster Road, Omar Idris, 22, of Carlisle Road, and Istahan Ulrak, 21, of Merton Close. They were next due to appear at Worcester Crown Court on January the 6th next year. The 22-year-old victim sustained potentially life-changing injuries and was taken to hospital. There was a heavy police presence at the magistrate's court in Combaton Place. A bail application was submitted for four defendants, Alarm, Bridger, Idris and Ulhak, by their solicitors, but this was refused by District Judge Ian Strongman. The six defendants' appearances were split over three hearings, which in total lasted more than two hours, and the public gallery was packed throughout. There were... There, with also, there were also shouts between defendants and their families at the end of the hearings. Before the hearings, West Mercia Police revealed that a seventh man, aged 28, was also arrested but was released with no further action. Last week, the force's chief inspector, Ian Wall, said officers were continuing to investigate all leads and a number of lines of inquiry. The attack, which happened outside St John's Ambulance in Wilds Lane and near two city primary schools, caused shock and revulsion throughout the community. Anyone with information can still contact police on 101 or call Crime Stoppers anonymously on 0800 555 A drug conspirator used a crossbow to threaten violence during a turf war in Worcester. Dramatic last-minute changes of plea from defendants, including Tommy Lee Jauncey and Scott Futrell, are expected to shorten a 12-day trial at Worcester Crown Court, which only began on Monday. 
the jury of 12 women had not even heard the drugs and weapons trial opened by the prosecution when the charges were put again yesterday by the court clerk, resulting in guilty pleas from some of the four defendants in the dock. Tommy Lee Jauncey and Askar Kalf had already admitted conspiracy to supply heroin and cracked cocaine in Worcester between January the 1st and August the 31st, 2017, at a hearing at the same court last month. Jauncey, aged 23, previously of St George's Lane, also admitted being concerned in the supply of a controlled drug of Class B cannabis between September the 1st, 2016, and August the 31st, 2017, at that hearing. Kane Ingram, aged 21 of Sadler's Walk, admitted conspiracy to supply heroin and crack cocaine, both Class A drugs, over the same period at a hearing in September. Jake Cox, 28, of Mill Street, has also now admitted conspiracy to supply heroin and crack cocaine. At the hearing yesterday, Jauncey, Cox and Scott Futrell, aged 28, of Chedworth Drive, Warnden, all admitted conspiracy to cause actual bodily harm to Luke Bridger on August the 30th, 2017. Jauncey further admitted possession of an offensive weapon, a crossbow, in Chedworth Drive, Warnden, on August the 30th, 2017. He also admitted possession of a second offensive weapon with an intent to cause fear of unlawful violence. This offence, which involved possession of a blank firing pistol, happened in Carlisle Road, Ronxwood, on August the 30th, 2017. He accepted he had used the pistol to cause another to believe un- unlawful violence would be used against him or another. Futrell also admitted possession of the crossbow in Carlisle Road, Ronxwood, on the same date. Stephen Bailey, prosecuting, said the Crown had reviewed the case and did not intend to pursue the drugs conspiracy charges against Futrell, inviting Judge Nicholas Cartwright to allow those charges to lie on file. Futrell denied both conspiracies. Judge Cartwright discharged the jury from considering verdicts on those two counts with regard to Futrell, permitting them to lie on file. Mr Bailey also said the Crown had agreed not to pursue a count of conspiracy to cause criminal damage to the property of Shah Hack. This charge was faced by Culf and Jauncey. That alleged offence said to have taken place in Chedworth Drive and to involve the firing of the crossbow, will be permitted to lie on file. The judge, the jury were directed by the judge as a formality to deliver guilty verdicts in relation to all admitted offences. They did so unanimously. The trial will now involve just two defendants, Kane Ingram and Asgar Kalf, aged 35, 
previously of Townley Gardens, Aston, Birmingham. Both men deny conspiracy to cause actual bodily harm against Luke Bridger. Those who pleaded guilty will be sentenced on December the 16th. And the final headline story. <clears throat> the city's YMCA hostel has closed after 40 years in a move that bosses were initially desperate to keep under wraps. Residents below the age of 35 have been transferred to three new accommodation sites across the city, offering 47 units of supported and affordable housing. The YMCA's new office will be in Chestnut Walk, but it is currently unclear where the accommodation sites are, while on Wednesday cars were blocking the entrances to the old Henwick Road base. We understand that the new properties are being rented by the YMCA as a temporary measure while permanent solutions are found. Anyone over 35 has been found alternative places to live, though not rented by the charity. It is estimated there were up to 75 residents at the time of the move, but is unclear how many were over 35 years of age. For months, YMCA bosses have remained tight-lipped, refusing to reveal where the new home would be based. But the Worcester News was told by a spokesman in June it was still, quote, exploring a number of housing options, end of quote, which would, quote, expand its accommodation in the city. An eyewitness told the Worcester News he had seen men in suits moving around the outer grounds of the property taking photographs on Wednesday morning. And a neighbour said he understood the move had taken place earlier in the week. Paying users of the rear five-a-side pitches were out in the cold on Tuesday evening, having been left completely left out uh, out of the loop. One player who has used the pitches every month for five years as part of a rolling agreement, said he called the branch number after finding the reception closed and floodlights switched off. He was told the facility had moved to the city centre, but that the location was a secret. As the Worcester News first reported in November, a new buyer is set to be found for the up-for-sale Henwick Road building, putting plans to convert it into student accommodation by next September in serious doubt. It was previously understood the YMCA hoped to be moving out last month, with the building having been sold and developers given permission for the conversion in July 2018. But in recent weeks, it has been put back on the market by PFHD Worcester Limited and, as of yet, has no new buyer. Property company Purple Frog secured planning permission on behalf of the developers to turn the site into a 149-bedroom student block in summer last year and hoped it would be up and running in 2020. The developers were subsequently hopeful a new buyer would emerge in time to commence works in the new year. A spokesman for Purple Frog said, We're delighted the YMCA has been able to relocate.
We are looking for investors who are willing to ensure this historic Worcester property gets another lease of life and continues to be part of the local community. The site has been listed by agents Knight Frank at £2,890,000 with the advert stating it has planning consent for conversion into student accommodation. The plan for the listed building, which dates back to 1868, was to house 87 students, while a new building on the same site would provide 62 bedrooms and be largely screened from the road. The scheme also featured a gym, a cinema room, study facilities, laundry service, communal spaces, ensuite rooms and 42 studio flats all built with the city's growing student community in mind. The University of Worcester has previously distanced itself from the plans, with a spokesman saying it has had no involvement in the anticipated conversion. Worcester City Council agreed to sell the derelict former Sansom Walk swimming pool, which closed in December 2016, to Sanctuary Housing and the YMCA in March. The plan was for it to be converted into 22 two-bedroomed shared ownership homes, 76 accommodation units for 18 to 35-year-olds, a business hub and a communal enterprise space. But demolition of the old pool site was set back until February 2020 and is likely to last around eight and a half months while further investigations explore exactly how much asbestos is in the building and buried in the ground. It is unclear whether the hostel is waiting around for this site. However, one Worcester News reader said they had spotted a YMCA van parked at the pool site last month. A YMCA Worcestershire spokesman said Henwick Road has been part of YMCA for many years. It has touched the lives of many within the community. We are pleased that we can continue to offer affordable accommodation for young people in the city. We would like to thank everyone that has been part of making this possible and are mainly proud of the work, our staff team and residents that have worked hard over the past months with the move into our new accommodation. They added that they will continue to explore new opportunities options for accommodation for young people in Worcestershire. My goodness me, the plot thickens. And that concludes all the headline stories of the last week. Some uh, pretty interesting crime ones too, which is unusual for this area. I'm going to ask David now to start with the rest of the news from the past week, please. (coughs) Thank you. Okay, well this is a story. It's a historical story actually. It came out uh, last Tuesday. It's all about the last man to be hanged in Worcester. And it's underneath a, a photograph of the long-gone Castle Street Jail. Today, that's Tuesday, marked a 100 years since the last person was executed in the city. Chinese-born Jiang Jin Sung was hanged at Worcester Jail at 8am on December the 3rd, 1919, for murdering fellow countryman Zoe Ming Wu. The victim's mutilated body had been found in Worley Woods, just 100 yards inside the old Worcestershire border with Birmingham, on June 23, 1919. Sung, 23, made no formal confession in his final moments, as was expected. 
Detailed informer, detailed informer city journalist and best-selling author Bob Blanford's newly released book, Worcestershire Bird, police were initially baffled by the case before being afforded two strokes of luck. Someone of Chinese origin had attempted to cash in the £240 deposited in the victim's account the day after the murder at Blythe Road Post Office in Kensington, London. When questioned at the time, the man had run off. The next day, a commotion was heard in a room at a lodging house in Aldine Street, Shepherd's Bush, London, and a man, later identified as Sung, was seen running away after an altercation with another fellow countryman, Quo Doing Zon. A blood-stained knife was then retrieved, having been thrown from the lodging room window. Caught by the Met, Sung was taken to Paddington's Green Police Station but denied the murder to Detective Inspector Percy Savage. The inspector's notes detailed how Sung did, however, admit to being the man at the post office. He claimed Ling Ding Jig took the hammer from him and killed the victim before giving him the bank book and telling him to collect the money. Within hours, Birmingham officers had rounded up the remaining three of the five men, all of Chinese origin, who'd lodged together and were later revealed to be present at the murder. The jury took just ten minutes to return a guilty verdict on October the 23rd during the hearing at the Shy Hall. At the subsequent appeal, it was put that Sing, sorry, that Sung had only witnessed the murder and supplied the weapon stolen from his employers. This was dis- dismissed on the grounds that he knew the purpose of the visit to Warley Woods and was thus complicit in the murder, while the bloodstained hammer thrown out of the window was the final nail in the coffin for Sung. A school held a gala night to mark the opening of their new performing arts centre. The Royal Grammar School Worcester officially launched their new facilities with a performance of Les Miserables, led by the pupils. The Performing Arts Centre includes a fully operational theatre, two drama studios, facilities for the actors, a foyer area and lighting and sound facilities. The centre was made possible by donations from members of the school community who were able to sponsor seats in the theatre. The gala night was an event with parents, alumni, friends and former pupils attending a black-tie pre-show dinner. The opening was performed by Rosemary Ham, Chairman of Governors on November the 28th, when the plans for the centre were introduced. Mrs. Ham is a former English and drama teacher and head of department from the Alice Otley School in Worcester, which merged with RGS in 2007. A plaque to mark the occasion was unveiled, while the head teacher, John Pitt, thanked everyone who'd made the creation of the centre possible. Mr. Pitt said, It is a spectacular facility which has been designed to be as flexible as possible. Drama and the performing arts at RGS Worcester are extremely strong, and we're delighted that we now have a theatre and studios that do it justice. We had a lovely evening to mark the grand opening, which was a thank- chance to thank everyone involved in the project. 
and also celebrate with the pupils as they gave a remarkable performance of Les Miserables, worthy of professional actors on a West End stage. The school's drama pupils gave six performances of the musical in the space of five days. After the performance, the actors discussed the play with the children and answered their questions. The Performing Arts Centre will be used for further drama productions throughout the year, as well as for performances, presentations, conferences and dance events for the community. Thousands flocked to the Worcester Victorian Christmas Fair over the weekend. Saturday proved to be a very cold day, but the fair was packed with visitors, braving the weather to spend a few hours looking around at the stalls. Stallholder Veronica Posk, 42, who travelled from Stratford-upon-Avon in Warwickshire, said, This is my third year of trading. My artwork here in Worcester and the atmosphere here is always really good and I've had warm response from the locals. Dan Coles from Morven, who was selling scarves, said the first day was quiet as the coaches came during the middle of the day and dropped people at the other end, up near Cathedral Square, so those stalls got more people looking. It's slower than usual. It's my third year here. Celia and Bill Kimberley have a candy floss stall and live in Worcester. Celia said, things are going really well and I think it's well organised. Bill said, not as busy as previous years and it's quiet today. It could be the location of the stall on the outside of the main fair. Shopper Thomas McCormack, 54, from Hereford said, the food at the stalls on offer is good. I've just had a hot chocolate to keep warm and a pork roll. Really nice. Good, but not keen on this weather. High Street stores also appeared busy as members of the public visiting the fair stocked up on Christmas gifts at the big-name retailers. However, long queues were seen outside cafes and restaurants. Mayor of Worcester, Councillor Aladitta, said, It's great to see so many fresh faces and lots of new stalls providing money into the local economy and people enjoying themselves, supporting small businesses. Feedback from stallholders has all been positive and one or two visitors have stopped me to say how well it's gone. Around 200 stalls lined the city's streets between Thursday, November 28th to Sunday, December 1st and the event regularly attracts around 100,000 visitors each year across the four days, contributing around £7 million to the local economy. It is one of the highlights of Worcester's festive calendar. Worcester Victorian Christmas Fair ended yesterday and plans are already underway for next year's event for the 28th time, according to organisers. And this short piece is about telephone fraud. We've all become very reliant on telephones and police have warned people about telephone fraud scams after recent reports. Officers advise checking they are legitimate by finding their number via directory inquiries and calling them back. Not calling them back because you're asked to over the phone. Residents are told to remember that the police will never contact them asking for a bank card or cash and neither will your bank either.
If anyone does, you should hang up and report it immediately to Action Fraud. Uh, you can ring 0300-123-2040 or if you are online, you can report Action Fraud at actionfraud, all one word, dot police dot uk. But these scams are becoming more and more common and I do advise that you take great care both answering your door and answering your telephone um, with regard to who knowing who's on the other end of it. And please do not give them any personal details, certainly not your bank card details, and don't give strangers any cash or allow them to take you to the bank to get cash. Christmas is coming. <clears throat> the Tree Festival is back at the City Cathedral. The Christmas Tree Festival returns to Worcester Cathedral this weekend. Glittering Christmas trees will line the cathedral's medieval cloister, decorated by local schools, charities, businesses and community groups. Last year, the cathedral welcomed thousands of visitors to view the displays, and it's expected to be just as popular again this year. Canon Stephen Edwards, looking forward to his first Christmas tree festival in Worcester, said, I hope the trees will encourage the community to come together and inspire joy, awe and love in a place which has been the centre of a community and a place of meeting since its foundation. This year's festival has 89 entries down on last year because work being done means that one side of the cloister quadrangle has had to be closed to visitors. The Christmas Tree Festival is free to enter, but visitors are urged to make donations via the donation points in the cloister to support the cathedral and its work. The festival runs daily from Saturday, December the 7th to Wednesday, January the 1st, and no tickets are required. It'll be officially opened by Worcester's Mayor Aladitta at a private event on Friday evening. For those hoping to take part next year, applications are invited in the first week of June 2020. Follow the Cathedral website and social media to ensure you don't miss out. This year, over half the places were snapped up within the first week. Worcester Cathedral was founded in 680. St Oswald then built another cathedral in 983 and established a monastery attached to it. St Wolfston, who rebuilt the cathedral in 1084, began the present building. During Anglo-Saxon times, Worcester was one of the most important monastic cathedrals in the country. It was a centre of great learning, which continued into the later Middle Ages, when Worcester's Benedictine monks went to university to study a variety of subjects. A business owner has spoken out about the impact of ongoing roadworks on production. Work is being carried out on the A38 cop cut to provide cabling for a new housing development leaving his workforce stuck in traffic for around half an hour at a time. Glyn Olden, Managing Director of Chess Plastics in Berry Hill Industrial Estate, Droitwich, said, I'm fed up with the issue on this road, and this has been going on since April 2019. There was an announcement saying it was coming... Uh, to an end, but it seems to be going on forever with no end in sight. I'm paying overtime to try and compensate for the last time, 
but 15 minutes extra pay here and there in overtime doesn't sound like much, but it all adds up to money coming out of the business. Droitwich Town Councillor Sandy Laird said, The workers don't seem to be working on the road very often from what I can see. Work on the A38 Copcut is being carried out by Redrow and Persimmon contractor M.V. Kelly, having been organised by the County Council. Improvement on the stretch of A Road and the junction has to be completed before numerous empty properties at the Yew Tree Hill Housing Estate off Pulley Lane can be occupied. A Redrow spokesperson said, as part of the overall yew tree farm development, Persimmon Homes and Redrow Homes have been granted an additional temporary traffic light licence by the Worcestershire County Council. The licence covers the period from the 11th of November to the 20th of November and is required in order to complete an essential part of the scheme before Christmas. We apologise for any inconvenience caused and appreciate the community's patience whilst these works are taking place. Previously, a spokesman from Persimmon Home South Midlands said, We continue to work closely with Worcestershire County Council and partner developer Redrow Homes to complete the roadworks. The necessary measures are in place to ensure the works are in place to ensure the works are carried out as quickly and safely as possible. Work is scheduled to be finished in either March or April of next year. A new specialist neurological care and rehab centre is opening in Worcester, bringing with it at least 70 jobs. Inspire Neurocare in Oldbury Road will provide rehab, long-term care, respite and palliative care for people with complex conditions including Parkinson's disease, Huntington's disease and brain and spinal cord injuries. The 42-room centre is set to open in February 2020 and manager Mark Russell said we're searching for compassionate, caring people who are keen to work in a highly complex care environment and develop new skills and a new career. Every day we strive for new ways to assist people to maintain their skills and abilities or relearn skills they have lost through injury or illness. In addition to bedrooms... The centre will have a gym and dedicated areas for families to spend time together. For information, go to www.inspireneurocare.co.uk. And now we'll have our sports slot. And I'm going to start with um, a story about Worcester City Football Club, which is rather ongoing. Worcester City will attempt to rekindle talks with Warriors owners Colin Goldring and Jason Whittingham in a bid to maximise homecoming options. City Chief Steve Good and Dave Wood, Chair of Worcester City Supporters Trust, the umbrella organisation that acts above City's board and director of the club, revealed plans to get back in touch with the Six Ways bosses after the prospect was scotched last month. 
Goldring confirmed exploratory discussions had been held with a view to taking over Homeless City as a part of a move that would see football played at the region's home of rugby. He added the Trust had made it quite clear that the remaining community-owned is their focus and the way they want to go. It preceded last week's meeting where city shareholders and trust members were presented with the option of going to Six Ways and relinquishing fan ownership or potentially moving to Clanes Lane, retaining the current model and leasing from the Worcestershire FA once the site is redeveloped. Approximately 150 supporters turned out, with both possibilities tabled, as if they were live. Something good and would hoped will be the case. Asked whether the city regarded the Six Ways deal as being dead, Good replied, We are going to revisit that and are waiting for a response from Warriors. As soon as we receive that response, we will get together again and do what we think is right for the club. Asked which option the respective boards prefer, Wood said, I'm waiting for that feedback. I have put the call out to trust board members and that is dripping through to me now. I would like that process to be complete before making any comment. Good said, we are talking and whatever decision we make will be the right one for this club. On the meeting itself, Wood said, there were some very good thoughts and comments. People had thought about all of the areas. Some were passionate about keeping the club's identity, that is, staying community-owned, which I understand. And others were passionately saying, why wouldn't you go to the Warriors? It is a no-brainer. For me, it was a split, but the most important thing was that a lot of people turned out and we had the key people who are passionate about Worcester City there. We had more than we thought. Good said, I'd agree with that. There was a lot of passion in the room and views were mixed, which was really good to see. People follow their hearts, but we have to go with what the head says on this one. Lots of questions were asked and the board got a lot out of it. Guidance from supporters who care about the football club. Wood continued, ultimately the club board has to make a decision. We are responsible for the business and to have the feedback was invaluable for us to understand people's feelings. Whether it's from the heart or the logic of the finances, that doesn't come across generally because people usually think about the football. It's still great to be having that conversation and for the people who matter to be thinking about it. The only thing we didn't discuss was the finances involved in both options. I pledged not to go that far because it is about the feasibility of the options at this stage. Good said the feedback from fans was 50-50 in the room, with Wood adding there were some straightforward questions about what it would be, the ownership models, that type of thing. What we have to do to get ground grading for different step levels if we go to claims. Personally, I didn't want to do a vote. I wanted the feedback because the club board has to make the decision. If one is an option, and I don't personally know whether it will be an option yet, but it will be a call that has to be made in the best interests of Worcester City Football Club. 
Okay, kicking off with a <clears throat> match report for Worcester City Football Club. They played Shepshed Dynamo and they beat them 2-1. Luke English's blockbuster was a 10-man Worcester City over- overcome Shepshed Dynamo 2-1 to reach the last 32 of the FA Vars. City survived, conceding inside 36 seconds, and Curtis Mewis picking up a second yellow card just before the hour mark to go within four stages of a Wembley final. Going down to ten men seemed to play into City's hands, with the visitors looking lost with the ball rather than playing over the top to a lively front three. Matt Melbourne's direct run towards the right corner of the box caught the host by surprise, with the Shepshed forward isolating his man before firing low across Dan Joseph in the opening minute. To their credit, City stuck to the plan and increasingly dominated the ball for the rest of the half, albeit with most of the play being in front of a well-drilled Dynamo back line. The half-time team talk would have changed two minutes past the 45 when Sean Brain hassled Rife Armstrong and cut back to Chris Withington to slam in from close range. It changed the mood, but sustained attacks either way were few and far between in the second half. Liam Lockett going close with some trickery that saw Jake Betts awkwardly thump away. The flashpoint came in the 57th minute, when Rhys Morris's clever layoff to find Liam Hurst run saw Mewis take leave of his senses and pull his rival shirt while on a booking. His dismissal was inevitable from that point, despite the first card being harsh. City wobbled for a few minutes, but soon regained composure, and while Shepshed had all the ball, they rarely looked like forcing a credible opening. If anything, City looked more likely on the break, but could not quite muster a decider in the 90 minutes. The platinum... The pattern of play was much the same in extra time, with City finding the breakthrough two minutes before half-time of extra time. Jordan Harrison's header looping into the air for English to dart in and lash home from 15 yards. Shepshed continued to pressure without testing Joseph, other than Harry Wakefield's half-folly, which was driven into the stopper's chest. The sheer volume of bodies in the box made for a tense finish but there was no proper drama with City safely in the hat for today's draw. Sale Sharks boss Steve Diamond was really surprised Graham Kitchener was not taken off by Worcester Warriors after appearing to be knocked unconscious. Kitchener suffered a blow to his head following a shoulder charge by Jean-Luc Duplise one minute before the break in sales, 20-13 to 13 loss at six ways. Diamond felt Kitchener looked in a very bad way as the warrior's lock lay on the floor before returning to his feet to receive medical attention. After going to the television match official, referee Luke Pierce gave Dupree's a straight red, a decision that Diamond also did not agree with at first viewing. But Diamond appeared to be even more baffled by Warriors' call to keep Kitchener on the field. I've only seen one angle, said Diamond, on the red card incident. From the angle I have seen, it's not a red card. But I have not seen the other side, which may make it look work. worse. That's where we're at. The sending off was a big game-changer. He's a big fella to lose. 
and it's disappointing to lose somebody for an innocuous clear-out at a ruck. I'm really surprised that they have not taken Kitchener off straight away. He seemed to be out unconscious, but carried on playing, which amazed me. I hope he's okay, but he looked in a very bad way. He was certainly prone on the ground, but they allowed him to play on. Sale fullback Simon Hammersley was also sin-binned in the first half for a high tackle on Melanie Nane. My players are aware of the tackle rules, and I think we're the most disciplined side in the competition, Diamond said. Hammersley was careless with that seatbelt tackle. I've not seen the other angle for Dupree's red card, but we know he will be out for six weeks. Hopefully it will be reduced a little bit. Faf de Klerk marked his first appearance in the Gallagher Premiership since winning the Rugby World Cup with South Africa, with Sharks' first try of the afternoon. Immediately after touching down, the scrum half was then challenged by Duncan Weir. Asked whether he was surprised no action was taken against Weir, Duncan said, Yes, I was. The referee thought that it, the tackle, was sufficient. Maybe the referee didn't like South Africa winning the World Cup. He thought he deserved to be tackled after he'd scored a try by about three seconds. Tries from de Klerk and Chris Action gave Sale a 10-3 lead but Dupreeze's dismissal proved to be the turning point as Warriors hit back with scores from Perry Humphreys and Ashley Beck in the second period. When you go down to 14 men, Faf becomes a trailing defender, Diamond said. He's got to go in the backfield and is nowhere near as affected as coming out of the line and trying to hit people. Your whole defensive game has got to change and then that takes it out of you. We never really got on the front foot. I thought Rowan Jans van Rensburg carried quite well, but we've got to be more disciplined than that. Darman added, We've got to give credit to Worcester. To be fair, they sucked us in, kicked the ball, and made us feel those kicks. They then found the space around the rucks, and had a couple of offloads, so they did really well. I've got to be happy with one point. Worcester Warriors women made it a weekend to remember for director of rugby Joe Yap, with a first Tyrrell's Premier 15s win of the season in front of a record crowd at six ways. A brace of first-half tries from number eight Lucy Lockhart gave Warriors the initiative, but Keris Cox's try seven minutes from time proved decisive in the 15-12 to 12 success over Bristol Bears. Yap, who coached Barbara... Barbara Barbarians, women to victory over Wales in Cardiff on Saturday, was in charge of Warriors at home for the first time, and the benefits of having a month away from league action to work with the side were obvious. Warriors were solid in the set piece and inventive in the backs, and showed composure in regaining the lead after Bristol worked themselves over for a converted try midway through the first half, and for battling hard for the win, their third in the competition. 
a crowd of 1,721, a record for a women's match at Six Ways, helped to mark Sepsis Awareness Day and roared Warriors to victory in a tense finale. Warriors started strongly and the earlier hard work was rewarded when Lockhart was driven over from an attacking line-out. Bristol responded with a sustained attack which led to replacement tight-head prop Ellie Mulhern driving over under the posts with full-back Lucy Atwood adding the extras. Warriors showed character by regrouping and dominating the rest of the first half with their pressure wearing Bristol down. From a five-minute scrum, sorry, a five-metre scrum, Warriors shunted Bristol backwards and Lockhart picked up and dotted down for the try. Warriors enjoyed long periods of pressure in the second half and almost scored again five minutes after the break when centre Meg Varley sliced open Bristol's defence. Jade Sheckles arrived in support and flanker Taz Bricknell drove towards the line only to be bundled into touch at the corner. Warriors continued to probe for weaknesses in Bristol's defence and it was wing Lydia Thompson, back from international duty with England, who made the decisive break with a powerful diagonal run. Thompson was hauled down just short of the line, but Warriors supported the break and recycled the ball patiently to send Cox over for the try and that put Warriors in sight of victory. Bristol delayed the celebrations by scoring a close-range try through Charlotte Wright-Haley, which made for a tense last three minutes, but Brickhill's foraging on the ground secured a penalty at the breakdown, which Warriors were able to kick to touch to seal the win. And that concludes our sports spot. And now for something completely different, as they say. Fed up residents have put up a sign calling for overgrowing brambles to be cut down before someone is injured. Worcester resident Kelvin Lai discovered a sign attached to the shrubbery in Marl Bank, which is uh, Rainbow Hill, which is calling for residents to report the brambles to Worcestershire County Council. Mr Lai said he is concerned about the shrubbery, which is located by the flats where Edward Elgar formerly lived. Mr Lai, aged 65, said, I felt a scratch at the side of my head. I had to duck as one was about to catch my eye. When I looked round, I noticed there were overgrown brambles overhanging the footpath from where Elgar used to live. He added, it could be a real issue. Someone who is not used to walking down that area could scratch their pupil, which could cause serious damage. It's a sign of the times. They will not take action until something happens, but they should take action before to stop it from happening in the first place. I have even been tempted to go down there myself and cut it down. He added, obviously, another resident is fed up, thus the sign, which actually says, sick of these brambles, report it, and and details to report it. A spokesman from the County Council said, we are aware of this overgrowth and have written to the landowner accordingly. We will follow this up again, but would advise that Worcestershire County Council has a strict process to follow. The site is part of the ground where Edward Elgar spent his final years. His home was demolished in 1969, having been offered to the council twice, I do actually happen to know, and made into a block of flats called Elgar Court. 
Okay, <clears throat> as James Bond was thrilling generations of moviegoers, his namesake was on his own mission in Worcestershire. In 1969, James Bond became the county's first ever county archaeologist. Mr Bond was just 24 years old when he was taken on to create an archaeology service at Worcestershire County Council. He was a geography graduate, yet to pass his driving test. He lived in a caravan, <laughs> and it was his first job. The service is this year celebrating its half-century milestone and those who contributed to it. So as the man who helped to develop it, Mr Bond's role is also being celebrated. Back in the 1960s, there were fears for archaeological sites as towns expanded and excavations increased. Councils began hiring county archaeologists to carry out vital work. Since 1969, more than 85,000 records of archaeological sites, historic buildings and landscapes have been created, with Worcestershire Archiving and Archaeology Service at the heart of this work. Mr Bond said... Most of the first generation of county archaeologists appointed through the 1960s and 70s were based in planning departments. Worcestershire was unusual in attaching the post to a museum, which formed part of the county's education department. It had real advantages in allowing a much more positive connection with the general public. This was an exciting time when every exploration produced new discoveries. I made it my priority to begin, to begin collecting and collating information on archaeological sites and historic buildings on a card index and plotting them on a paper map. I loved the variety of the Worcestershire landscape and retained particularly fond, particular fondness for places which sparked off interests which have engaged me throughout my subsequent career. Victoria Bryant, manager of the Archive and Archaeology Service that is now based at the Hive, said, James is a vital piece of our story, setting up the foundations for the modern-day service we see today. As we celebrate our work and all we have achieved in the past 50 years, our thanks go to all those who have led and worked for the service over five decades. Charles Topping Band UB40 is coming to Worcester next year for a very special gig at the city's racecourse. Although the concert at Pitchcroft is not until Saturday, June the 13th, 2.20, tickets are going on sales this Friday, December the 6th. Audiences will have the chance to enjoy an afternoon of racing at one of the UK's leading race courses with a full UB40 set in the evening. The racing and concert day follows the success of a similar event held in August 2015, headlined by Manchester Rockers James. A spokesman said, distilling a potent mix of progressive attitudes, a diverse ethnic makeup and pure pop panache, UB40 has sealed its status as one of the best-loved British bands of all time. There are loads of great things to do in Worcester next summer. This has certainly made the list. Right in the city centre, you can make a full day of it, with thrilling racing and entertainment throughout the day, before listening to the upbeat Regi sounds of UB40, live in the superb surroundings of Worcester. Since its founding in Birmingham in 1978, 
the Reggae pop band has scored more than 50 singles in the UK single chart and achieved considerable international success with over 100 million record sales worldwide. The band's first album, Signing Off, went to number two in the UK and stayed on the nation's album charts for 72 weeks. Later, the original band split up after a row between founding brothers Robin and Ali Campbell. This version of the band is led by Robin Campbell. In its career, the band has been named the Best British Group at the Brit Awards and earned nominations for Best Regi Album four times at the Grammys. In the 1980s, the band spent 214 weeks on the UK singles charts over the decade, a record that it shares with Madness. Among the band's numerous hits are Food for Thought, Red Red Wine, Can't Help Falling in Love, I Got You Babe, One in Ten, and Many Rivers to Cross. Tickets are available from Ticketmaster at £30 for adults and £25 for under-18s, with under-5s getting in free. Crowds turned out for this year's Worcester Victorian Christmas Fair. Although no official numbers have yet been released, the City Council said the numbers of visitors had gone up from last year and pictures show throngs of people in the city's high street. Ruth Smith, manager of Worcester Tourist Information Centre, said, We're absolutely thrilled on how many people came, although we don't have the exact numbers yet. It's the biggest event for the city each year and the same stallholders come back year after year from all over the country. Hotels tend to get booked afterwards as people see what a beautiful place Worcester is and want to spend more time here. We also notice an increase in coach trips to the city from the Midlands as a result of the publicity generated. Sharon Smith, CEO of Herefordshire and Worcestershire Chamber of Commerce, said it has become a key date for small businesses and helps to position and support them within the region. With visitors travelling from far and wide to come and enjoy the fair, it widens the market for these businesses and helps them to get their brand exposed regionally, nationally and sometimes even to international visitors. It's incredible to see that traditions such as the Worcestershire Victorian Christmas Fair are still so vital and important in a market that is changing almost daily. On the Facebook page of the Worcester News, Jeanette White said, I think it was great and fab for business for the independent retailers who need a boost this time of year. Danny Bullock said, really enjoyed it and the kids loved it. The food stalls were brilliant, bought some amazing cheeses and pies. It was fantastic for Worcester and local businesses alike. However, not everyone agreed. Alice Johnson said, I was too bu- It was too busy. You couldn't move, getting walked into constantly. I won't be going again. Taken ten minutes to walk a minute down the road with people stopping in, mi- in the middle of the street. Stephen Edwards said, Worst one I've been to, and I've been coming for years. It felt a bit disconnected. 
but it brings in trade and shines a light on Worcester. So take the rough with the smooth. Well, you can play your part in preserving historic artefacts at Worcester Cathedral as a new sponsorship scheme is being launched. As part of the cathedral's efforts to preserve its history, residents are now being offered the option to sponsor a piece of the landmark. Items include stained glass windows and panels, wooden carvings and spandrels, stone carved motifs on the cathedral's walls. The money paid will go towards the upkeep and preservation of these historic treasures and there are hundreds of different items which can be sponsored. Stained glass images include early Christian pilgrims and saints, kings and queens including King John, Ethelfleda, daughter of King Alfred the Great, and figures including Chaucer and Shakespeare. Ethelfleda, Lady of Mercia, is amongst those remembered in the windows. She and her husband, Athelred, fortified Worcester and granted the cathedral rights of lordship over the city. Those adopting a piece of history will get a presentation pack, which includes a photo of the chosen item, a certificate of adoption and a dedication in the cathedral's donor's book which will include the opportunity to make a dedication to commemorate a special event, anniversary or in memory of a loved one. Other items include the misery cords, which are the brackets on the underside of the hinged seating, which were originally created as an assistance to the monks when having to stand for services. They were highly decorated with scenes of everyday life in the 14th and 15th centuries. Prices for adopting a piece of history start from £25 and go up to £500. For more information, visit the Cathedral website or email development at worcestercathedral.org.uk or phone them on 01905 732946. OK. <coughs> The council is preparing to hand £750,000 to the county's football association to pay for a major revamp of a football ground. Worcestershire Football Association, the WFA, said it needs the final bit of cash to complete the redevelopment of Clanes Lane in Worcester, which includes a new artificial 3G pitch, a 100-seat stand and new floodlights. <clears throat> the WFA was given permission to demolish the existing facilities at Clanes Lane and build a new clubhouse, changing rooms and offices for its new headquarters. Despite gaining permission for the redevelopment by the City's Council Planning Committee almost a year ago, they've yet to secure all of the money needed to carry out the redevelopment. They said it had made requests to several bodies for money and has now approached the Council for a loan for the remaining £750,000. Around £1 million has already been secured <clears throat> from the Football Foundation, money handed from Premier League football clubs, the Football Association, via the government body Sports England, to help improve grassroots football, as well as several other smaller grants. The WFA has said it will also use around £300,000 of its reserves to help pay for the work and using the money it brings in from selling its current offices in Hampton Lovett near Droitwich. County football bosses have said they may not use all of the 750000 
it borrows from the City Council, and has also allowed for some leeway in case any unexpected costs arise. They said it would prefer to pay off the loan over a 40-year period rather than the usual 25 years, but may not necessarily use all of the loan and would only take what it needed from the overall pot of money. Talks between the City Council's party leaders and council bosses have been held in the last month about the possibility of Worcester City Football Club moving to Clains Lane. Discussions between the exiled club shareholders and supporters' trust held last week centred on whether the club could ground share with Worcester Raiders, who are having to play away from Clains Lane because of the refurbishment or hand over the club to Worcester Warriors owners, the Bond Group, and play at Six Ways. Much of the work was expected to have been completed by September, in time for the start of the new season. The full cost of the redevelopment expected income from the new facilities and a complete breakdown of the securing funding is included in confidential papers due to be discussed by the City Council's Policy and Resources Committee next Tuesday, that is December the 10th. A man has been cleared of an assault on his partner after two independent witnesses claimed they saw him attacking her on a Worcester street. Philip Scarrett was found not guilty of assault by beating against his partner following a one-day trial at Worcester Magistrates Court. The 29-year-old of Vesta Tilly Court denied the assault and was cleared by the bench. The assault was alleged to have taken place in Newtown Road on June the 27th this year. Two women who'd been driving past gave evidence, saying they had witnessed Mr Scarrett assaulting Kerry Taylor and gave her a lift in the car. Police body-worn footage was also played, showing the aftermath of the alleged assault during which Miss Taylor could be heard hyperventilating and saying, he was holding on to me and pushing me and dragging me. However, Miss Taylor made no statement and did not come to court to give evidence against Mr Scarrett, said Mark Turnbull, defending. In police interview, Mr Scarrett said she had made this up. Mr Scarrett also gave evidence from the witness box saying he'd been to A&E in Worcester, but the wait was too long, so he discharged himself. He said his partner had been holding on to his jacket, stopping him from walking down the road, and didn't want me to go to my mates. She didn't want me to leave her, he said, denying he was the aggressor under cross-examination from prosecutor Shafquat Riaz. When asked if the two independent witnesses were mistaken, he said, yes, 100%, and added, my version is the correct version. Magistrates decided she was being dragged because she was hanging on to his clothing and said the context in which she shouted for help had not been proved. Miss Taylor had confirmed she wanted Mr Scarrett to remain at hospital for treatment. We find you not guilty, Mr Scarrett. You are free to leave the court, said the chairman of the bench. The University of Worcester has been awarded for its work helping people with dementia. 
it won the outstanding contribution to the local community title in the coveted Times Higher Education Awards. It was recognised for its association for dementia studies work to establish and develop meeting centres to support people living with dementia. It also saved the centres from closure when funding ended. Professor Dawn Brooker, director of the Association for Dementia Studies, said, Our work on meeting centres has been a sustained team effort dating back to 2014. Incorporating true partnership, working between the Association for Dementia Studies at the university, international colleagues from many countries, national charities, health and care providers and local people determined to make a difference to the lives of those affected by dementia. The association started work to set up two pilot meeting centres in Droitwich and Lemster for people with dementia, offering them a place to talk to others, to get help and have fun. But 2017-18 to 18 was a crunch point for the project as research funding ended, bringing the prospect of closure for centres that users had come to see as a lifeline. The association helped them because charities become charities so they could continue their work and secured £600,000 lottery funding which created a national reference group. There are now eight dementia meeting centres operating across the UK and there are a further 20 expressions of interest. The judges said Worcester's meeting centres were innovative, practical and the result of a genuine partnership between a research centre and local help points. It described the association as a truly dedicated group who stepped in decisively when funding was at risk. And our final story is about part of Worcester's medieval wall which has reportedly collapsed. Auto centre Mr Tyre has closed its doors and blamed it on the collapse of the old city wall, which is inside the garage. However, the circumstances around it and the extent of the damage remain a mystery. Mr Tyre is located in the Butts and posted on social media the following. The Mr Tyre Worcester branch is permanently closed due to the collapse of the old city wall. We would like to thank all our customers for their custom over the past 10 years. If any customers have a guarantee for anything purchased at Mr Tar Worcester, it will be honoured at any of our other branches, with the closest being Redditch and Kidderminster. The business is currently locked up and displaying a sign which says it is closed due to flood damage. Paul Harding from Discover History, who runs educational tours, called the city wall a fantastic piece of medieval stonework. Mr Harding said the part of the wall next to Mr Tyre is the best preserved part as it's inside the Tyre shop's garage and protected from the elements. Worcester city walls are a sequence of defensive walls built between the 1st and 17th centuries. The Roman walls were restored and reused by the Saxons. The wall can be seen along the river and along City Walls Road. Worcester City Council's archaeological officer has been made aware of the collapse but would not comment on the situation. Many customers posted on social media that they will miss the tyre service and its staff. 
The Worcester News approached Mr Tarr, but they also declined to comment, saying they were holding a consultation. And that brings us to the end of this week's recording. So it remains for me, Elizabeth Hill, to thank our engineer John Plush and my fellow readers, David Clark, Pam, Pamela Holder and Jeanette, Janet Goodman. And just to remind you that after the music finishes, I will read the uh, announcements, obituary announcements that have been in the papers during the past week. So um, it's coming up to Christmas time, so we need to say a happy Christmas and a happy and healthy New Year and to sign off for this week until next year, actually. Bye-bye. Deaths which have been announced in the last week. Uh, these first two uh, services will have already taken place. Alan Clark, formerly of 602 Troop, Heenan Drives and Varicone 3D Drives, died unexpectedly November the 6th. His funeral service uh, will have taken place on Friday the 6th of December. Donations, if desired, for the Royal British Legion can be sent to E.J. Gumry & Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. Irene Mary Stokes, nay House, formerly of Glenthorne Avenue, passed away on November the 2nd, her funeral service also on December the 6th. Donations, if desired, for Friends of St Stephen's, again can be sent to EJ Gumry and Son. Details as before. These uh, service funeral services are yet to take place. Ruth Taylor passed away on November the 7th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, December the 10th at 2.30pm. Flowers can be sent to EJ Gumry and Son details as before. Albert Dyer passed away November 14th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium also on Tuesday, December the 10th at 11.30am. Flowers by request may be sent to EJ Gumry and Son. Joyce Gordon Roper, known as Joe, passed away November 18th. Funeral service at 1.45pm on December the 10th at Worcester Crematorium, followed by a service of thanksgiving at Droitwich Baptist Church at 3pm. Donations to Primrose Hospice, care of George Crump, funeral directors, 3233 Hanbury Road, Droitwich, WR9 PW. Peter David John Wilkes passed away November 23rd. Funeral service on Tuesday, December the 10th at Worcester Crematorium at 3.15pm. Donations to the Cats Protection League can be left in the donation box or sent to AV Band Funeral Directors, 41 St Nicholas Street, Worcester, WR11UW. Jean Lillian Jones passed away November 21st. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium Tuesday, December the 10th at 10.45am. Donations for uh, St Richard's Hospice and the British Heart Foundation may be placed in the collection box. Inquiries to Cooperative Funeral Care 01905 but flowers are also welcome. 
Heather Jean Owens passed away 19th of November. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, December the 11th at 10am. Family flowers only donations if desired for the British Heart Foundation uh, and again can be left at the service with inquiries to cooperative funeral care details as before. Aloma Beryl Narraway passed away November 25th. Funeral service at St John in Bedradine on Wednesday, December the 11th at 1pm, followed by a committal at St John's Cemetery. Donations to Cancer Research UK can be sent to Bedradine Funeral Services, 30 Bromyard Road, Worcester, WR2 5BT, telephone 01905, Seven four double eight one. Mabel Winifred Simmons, known as Mabs, passed away November nineteenth. Funeral service at the Avail Crematorium in Fladbury on Friday, December the thirteenth at two p.m. Donations to the River School in Worcester can be sent to E Hill and Son Funeral Directors, Pershaw, WR ten one. HZ. June Avery, formerly of Chelfont Close under retired employee of Marks and Spencers, passed away on November the 27th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium Friday, December the 13th at 11.30am. Flowers can be sent to Bedradine Funeral Services. Details as before. Um, I've missed some this some on December the 12th. Ronald Bertram Carver passed away November the 5th. Graveside service at Astwood Cemetery on Thursday, December the 12th at 10am. Inquiries to EJ Gummery and Son details as before. June Ann Clark passed away November 25th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium Thursday, December the 12th at 10.45am. Donations, if desired, for the nurses at Worcester Royal Hospital um, may be left in the collection box uh, or sent to the charity and flowers are welcome there. Gwen Ed- Edwards formerly of Green Lane Beverley, passed away November 24th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium, Thursday 12th of December at 3.15pm. Donations for Give a Child Health Fund may be left on the collection plate or sent to EJ Gummery and Son, details as previously. Anthony John Owen Green, known as Tony, passed away at St Richard's Hospice November the 30th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium, Thursday, December the 12th at 2.30pm. Donations for St Richard's Hospice can be left there or inquiries to co-op funeral care. Details as before. Fira Mae Jones, November 25th, passed away. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium, Thursday, December the 12th at 11.30am. Donations for St Richard's Hospice can be left at the crematorium or sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services. David John Woodfield passed away November 24th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium, Tuesday, December 17th at 1pm. Donations for the Alzheimer's Society 
and St Richard's Hospice. Inquiries to George Crump and Son details as before. Phyllis Rosemary Parker passed away November 13th. Funeral service on Tuesday, December the 17th at 10.45am, which will be a celebration of her life, but it doesn't actually say where. No black colours, but autumn colours. Flowers welcome. Inquiries to Cooperative Funeral Care, and I'll give you that number again as there's no other detail. Worcester number 22137. And finally, Ruth Bennett. A uh, service to celebrate her life will be held at Bromyard Road Methodist Church on Saturday, December the 21st at 1.30pm. And this will be Ruth Bennett of Bennett's Farm at Lowick. Um, donations for St Richard's Hospice, where she received excellent care in her last days, could be sent to um, direct to Bedwardine Funeral Services or left in the collection box. Our thoughts and prayers go to all of those who have lost loved ones recently. Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. <laughs> 